are with us, that you are with us without fail. That no matter how we're feeling, no matter how we evaluate ourselves to be doing, no matter what the circumstances of life may bring us, that you are with us, that you are for us, and that you love us. I ask today that as we turn to the scripture, that you would help us to understand this truth, help us to taste it, see that it's good, to digest it, to uh, to really take it into our being, um, and to put it to use this week. I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the paper that you have in your hand, um, if you look at the side that starts with I believe, it says I believe on the top. Uh, I'm taking this series, I'm just kind of using a fun, uh, it's summer, and some of you remember uh, me using uh, funny examples and weird things giving away last summer. Uh, I like to, to have a little bit of fun in the summer. Taking the title of this series really uh, from a song that the fans of the U.S. men's national soccer team uh, sang leading up to the last World Cup when it looked like they were bound to lose every match, and it was, I believe, I believe, I believe that we will win, I believe. Some of you are getting into it, I believe, I believe that we will win. You see, you need some of that in your system, right? So I can say, I believe that the sky is purple, and I don't get any strength from that because it's not true. Are you with me? But when I make a statement of something that is true, particularly from Scripture, I gain strength. How many of you could grow in strength? Okay, good. Good. So last week we looked at these three statements. I believe God created me in His image. I believe God chose me before I was born. I believe God is slow to anger and full of unfailing love. And I've asked some of you to help me with this series. And so I'm going to ask Ben uh, to come at this time while I read the scripture for our next statement. Our first three were focused on God the Father. Today's three are focused on God the Son. That's Jesus. Pastor John writes... 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who true, is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And I've asked Ben to come and explain what that means to him. Good morning, guys. Um, so I was pretty excited when Pastor Ben asked me to share what this means to me because it highlights one of the things about the good news about Jesus that I really like, which is that it's actually really complex and multi-layered. And it's, it's easy for me and probably lots of us to drift into this idea that we just kind of like we have these religious statements that we make, like Jesus died for me, and I'm alive now, or whatever. And the reality is, like, when, when you think about it, I think it's kind of 
more like a fairy tale or more like science or something where there's a, a lot going on. Like there's a way things work and there's rules and there's players to it. And it's like God kind of gave real choices and then people responded the right way or the wrong way and things broke and God couldn't just like take it back. He had to go through and, and fix it in interesting and different ways. And there's like all these different layers and aspects going on. And I won't get into all of that because I can get kind of manic and scattered and confuse people. But this is a good example of like one little sliver of that where it's not just that Jesus died and rose and so everything's okay. It's that like just again, a little tiny sliver. There's these two sides to it. It's like you, in Romans it says that if while we were still enemies with God, we were rec- like he gave his son so that we can be reconciled. How much more now that we're reconciled will we, you know, will his life give us life? Um, so it's, it's kind of like, it's not just that, like, like, okay, so basically Jesus died. He took the punishment that I deserved. And that brought me back to life. It re- removed my sin. It's like I had this weight of sin on me and Jesus died and that took it off. But now I'm alive and Jesus has gone through death and out the other end into this new kind of life and now I'm one with him. And so I've gone like through death and out the other end with him and now I'm alive in this new kind of life too. And it's, I'll stop there for now because I know he's got a whole sermon and stuff. But like look into this stuff. It's really interesting. There's so many layers. There's so many different things going on and that's part of why I love Jesus and what he's done for us. Thank you. That's good. One of the things that's important about what Ben said is that there is so much to this and it's worthwhile to look into it, to to give energy to it. Did you catch that? This first point that we pull from this scripture, I believe Jesus died that the guilt of my sin would be removed and lives today that I might have life. This, this statement is that uh, we're summing up the gospel. And so for both Ben and myself, it's difficult to, to, to make it extremely concise. And, and that's why I've got it in the paper and on the statement. Let's break it down just a little bit. Pastor John starts with a term of endearment that he used. He was older at the time of writing this letter, and so quite a bit older than the average age of his church, like I am to some of you, right? So um, he, his, my dear little children was a term of endearment he would use all the time. Uh, but he quickly gets to the point of the gospel, and he uses vocabulary that we don't have a full meaning of today in English, and so I'm going to just explain it to you briefly. First of all, he refers to Jesus as our advocate, and he's using a legal term for somebody that comes alongside us and speaks in our defense. Now, one of the things that we're talking about in this series is from 2 Corinthians uh, 5, that we are to bring our thoughts under obedience of Jesus. And one of the thoughts that we can have is that I'm dirty. You ever found anything in the fridge and said, what is that? 
Rebecca and I had a, a moment like that this week. We pulled something out of the fridge, kind of smelled funky. We pulled something out of the fridge and was like, what is, like we couldn't even identify it visually. What, what is that? How did it, I don't even know how it got in there. Am I the only one? That, did you lose your sense of humor? Come on. What, what is that? How did it, how did, that's what sin is in our life. And that's why we need to live an open life, not a prideful, reserved, quiet, isolated life. Because sometimes in our life, sin creeps in and we don't know. And we have to have moments where we pause and we be like, what is that? How did that even get in there? I don't know. Well, guess what? Jesus is the answer. He is our advocate. He is our helper. He is the one who comes. How many of you you ever felt alone? He's the one that comes alongside us. Can I have your attention? I know there's stuff going on in the room. Let me have your attention. You are not alone. You are not alone. Jesus is your advocate. More than that, he it says he is our sacrifice that atones. And we need to understand the reality. We talked about how God the Father is slow to anger. And yet, if we're not covered with the sacrifice of Jesus, if we don't repent and take on the sacrifice of Jesus, God's wrath is sure. God is slow to anger, but he hates evil. And when we try to go it alone and be our own righteousness or think that our thoughts or our actions are our righteousness, His judgment is sure. It's coming. He hates evil. And if we are holding on to evil more than we are holding on to Him, His judgment will fall upon us. Let's be careful to not kid ourselves. We will all die someday or Jesus will return. Either way, we will all stand before Jesus and either he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. So in my heart, in my affections, am I holding on to myself or evil or am I holding on to Jesus? You are not alone. You are not alone. Now we can choose to reject him, stiff arm him, keep him at a distance, and so end up living a miserable life, even attending church and Bible studies and saying the right things and convincing everybody else we're okay. But the degree to which there is misery inside us is the degree to which we are not holding on to him. John is writing this letter to believers who were in the church. And he says, I write this to you so that you would not sin. Because Jesus is your advocate. He's your atonement. And so we say, I believe that I'm not dirty. And you know, here's another lie that we can come to believe. I'm dirty. 
I'm doomed to repeat it. Anyone ever felt that before? You're just like your father. You're this, you're that. The voice of the accuser in your head? An emotion, a feeling, a fear. I'm doomed to repeat it. You are not. You are not. You are not doomed to repeat it. You have a choice. You're not alone. You are not alone. Jesus is your advocate. He is your atonement. And so I can stand in faith. And I've given you this on paper and I'm speaking it to you with my heart because I want you in the face of conflicting emotions, in the face of conflicting voices and thoughts, I want you to learn to be a strong believer, to stand and say, I believe Jesus died that the guilt of my sin would be removed and he lives today that I might have life. This is good stuff. So good. So good. So good. Better than watermelon. Better than your half and half. Better than apple pie. And even chocolate cake. Come on. I believe Jesus died that the guilt of my sin would be removed and lives today that I might have life. All right, Q, you ready? Here we go. Oh, I went too far. Good thing I checked. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read it, and Chiquetta is going to talk to us about it. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Well, and it starts with, in verse 1, is there any comfort? Is there any comfort? Come on up here, Chiquetta. Oh, there you are. Oh, ninja, ninja skills. Is there any comfort? Is there any encouragement? Verses 5 through 8, talking about Jesus. We must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So it's crazy we would be having like this topic right now because over the past like couple of weeks I've been doing some type of reflections and just thinking about Jesus and my relationship with him. So I started to kind of reflect going all the way back to like childhood and I can say that most of my life I had this feeling of being like out of place, alone, insignificant and disposable. And I never really managed to form that, like, feel-good bond that I see some families like, oh, now you see them having family night and playing, like, you know, sports and all that together. I never really managed to form that bond with my family. So I, like, rush home from elementary school with my Young Authors Award or my new painting or whatever I did and, and just couldn't wait to get home to show my mom. And I get there and I'm like, mom, 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 look at this award. And she was, like, focused on the TV. 
and it was like her concentration on this TV was like nothing else. You could rob the entire house, and as long as you did not touch the TV, she wouldn't notice. I was standing like right beside her one day. I scared the mess out of her when a commercial came on because she had no idea that I was there. And I'd been talking to her. And I just gave up and went into the kitchen and got something to eat. And then like she came in around the corner and she's like, ah! she didn't even notice that I was home. And then on top of that, I'm like that really loyal friend that once I get to know you, I'm just holding on tight. It doesn't really matter what you do, I'll be there. But for me, it seemed like people got bored and like tossed me aside for something new and shiny and improved. So I slipped into a coldness, deciding that people weren't dependable. And maybe I wasn't likable, and not that many people noticed that I existed. And I've never been much of a crier since the night I spent as a child crying myself to sleep. But one day I came across um, Philippians, actually, 2 and 8. <laughs> saying that Jesus had humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. And I began to cry. And I couldn't quite figure out, like, why I was crying, like, bawling, like, ugly cry, like, not that cute stuff you see in the movies. But I felt like, how could someone sacrifice his life for someone so insignificant? So I started to reflect on what his sacrifice meant to me. So Jesus' sacrifice gave me significance and has provided healing to wounds that run so deep. Jesus' sacrifice gave me belonging and has provided comfort to nights where I was convinced I'd always be alone. Jesus' sacrifice gave me a place in his arms and has provided a spirit of adoption. Jesus' sacrifice has made me not disposable and has provided me with friends to remind me when I have trouble feeling or seeing it. And if no one else is ever faithful, it won't matter. I know that he is. So that's my reflection. Thank you, Chiquetta, for your bravery. You'd notice that she's taken time to think through who Jesus is and what he means to her and then what that means from her and how she responds to the rest of the world. See, that's a beautiful thing. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about when he says, how then shall we overcome or, or live a victorious life in this world if we ignore so great our salvation?" I cannot, for you, sit down and process what Jesus means to you. Only you can spend that time for you. And when we come on a Sunday, we, it should just come bubbling out. This gratitude. Because we have given ourselves over to digest and process who Jesus is and what that means. Now, this passage of Philippians is one of the most meaningful of all scripture to me because it communicates God's love and who God really is to me. Because everything about Jesus reveals something about God to us. So, the God who carved the height of the mountains and the deep of the oceans 
in his son chose not his own comfort, but to sacrifice himself in loving us. That's God's kind of love, agape. Self-sacrificing. And I want to focus on this point. Not only is it self-sacrificing, I believe Jesus loves me sacrificially and without fail. But Jesus did not, after having been accused of stuff he didn't do, back out and skyrocket up into the clouds. No, Jesus loved us without fail even to the point of being tortured, publicly shamed, and put to death. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. So when I have a thought or when I have an emotion of, I'm alone, I must, by paying attention to Jesus, bring that thought through a Jesus filter. Does that make sense? Are you with me? And so if I feel like I am alone, I have to reject that thought or that feeling because it is not trustworthy. I can't live by my feelings. Right? From Scripture, I understand the truth. And the truth is that I can stand and reasonably say, I believe Jesus loves me sacrificially and without fail. So people may have failed me. People may have rejected me. People may have used me and manipulated me. And just, I don't want anyone to feel sorry about me, for me, but I can say that that's been my experience this year. I can say those things. I've been hurt, rejected, misused, manipulated. But that's not how I live. It's not my first time being used. It's not my first time being rejected, being abandoned. It's not my first. I have come to a place in my life where I care more about Jesus than anything else. And so I can cry and then smile. And not be psychotic. Because I know that when I cry, that when I feel hurt, angry, lonely, tired, I am not alone. Jesus, God the Son, is with me. Are you getting this in your system? Jesus loves you sacrificially and without fail. Our third and final one this morning. This might blow your mind. Jesus prays for me. I believe that Jesus prays for me. Becky, if you'll come while I... Read this passage from John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. John chapter 17, verses 20 through 26. This is G, red letters, so this is Jesus talking. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. 
I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love me as much as you love them. Father, I want these whom you've given me to be with where I am. then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do. And these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. So I got, I think I got this email from Pastor Ben asking if I would share what this means to me when we were on our way to go camping or something. And I was like, sure, yeah. And then I went back and read it and thought about it. And I've read John a few times, but I, this, um, the first couple of verses never stood out to me as Jesus praying for me. And I've all, I've known and understood that Jesus is my intercessor and that one day I'll stand before God and Jesus will intercede. And because he paid the, the sacrifice that I, I am called a daughter of God. But it didn't occur to me that it was an ongoing thing. Like Pastor Ben has said before, that salvation is yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That we're, we're always being saved. And it really, I was trying to think what I would say. And I, I realized that sometimes I feel like my spiritual life is like a bo- boomerang where I'll be on track, I'll be all focused on God, and then I start focusing on myself, or I focus on the world and get too impressed with the works of the enemy, and then um, I realize it, and then I come back to God and redirect my focus to Him. And it's not because I'm so strong and can get back on track, but it's because Jesus is interceding for me. And if it wasn't for that, if this was just uh, you know, something that we had to do on our own, we would never get to God. We could never do it. And so I imagine my spiritual life not as a nice, steady, straight line in a graph going up, but as going up, oh, and then down a little, and then up a little higher next time, and down a little next time. And I'm sure there are Christians who are more straight in their lines than I am, but I feel like at this point I'm, I just get distracted, and Jesus gets me back on, back on track every time. And that he reminds me, it's not up to me. And lately I've been worrying, am I a good enough mom? Am I a good enough wife? Am I a good enough friend? Am I giving enough? Am I doing this well enough? And I, I've been realizing Jesus has been redirecting me, getting me back on track, praying for me, and showing me that it's not performance-based. I, you just have to focus on him. And um, this passage, he talks about the glory that God gave Jesus. He also gives us in that we experience unity when we are um, following Him. And it's just so amazing that when I'm more focused on myself and my performance or trying to do things out of my own strength, I'm not as unified with my family or with friends or with seeing strangers' needs who I come across. But when I am praising God, even when circumstances are hard, when I give the sacrifice of praise, 
and keep my focus on him, then I have more unity with others and I have more unity with God. And it all comes back to what our role is here on this earth. He created us to worship him and he created us to share his love with others. And when I'm too focused on myself, I can't do that. I don't have the strength to do that. But when um, Jesus intercedes and brings me back to him, then I am able to be unified with others and to bring the good news to others. Thank you. So Becky is exactly right. And you may have not noticed this before either, but explicitly... Jesus, in this passage, is praying for you. Explicitly. He says, I pray for all who will ever believe in me. Jesus prays for you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not stopped. And, and it's, we don't have time to delve into today, but it's, it's also worth noting that what his prayer request is that we would have unity with God like we're discussing now and that we would have unity with each other. And I think it's really important that when you determine whether or not you're going to come to church or small group or build relationships, do fun stuff with people in this church, that you consider that Jesus' prayer request was explicitly that we would love each other in a way that other people talk about. That we would have a unity, that we would pursue unity with each other that is not normal. That's his explicit prayer request. But our takeaway is that we can reasonably look at this passage and say, I believe that Jesus prays for me. Jesus. You know, the one who split how human history is counted? B.C., A.D., that one. Jesus prays for you. That's, that's the level at which he loves you. Now, that should be like a identity-shaping, molding, life-altering kind of thing. Because no matter what garbage you feel about yourself, the truth is that Jesus loves you and that he prays for you. That even if others have given up on you, there is always someone who has not. Are you with me? So, just before we close, talk to me a little bit real quick. From the three points that we just looked at, what have we learned? Talk to me. Who is God? What did we learn? Plain, simple truth. Who is Jesus? Anybody? Somebody that loves us? Yes. Yes, a servant, lowly, came down for us. An advocate. An advocate. What? One who prays for us. Okay, so let's take that truth and pause. And can you just think and feel for a second? Okay, if that's who Jesus is, who are you? Oh, I lost it. (laughs) Somebody who knocks over microphones. That's who I am. Okay, a Jesus follower. Yeah? His child. Yes? A winner. Thank you. 
I believe that we will win. God is with us. God is for us. Who can stand against us? God needs some people in Baltimore that got that in their gut. Right? I believe that we will win. Who, who am I? Femi? Yes, that's very good. Let me repeat that. An object of his attention and focus. Are you starting to hear some stuff that would be good for you to kind of work into your wake-up routine in the morning? Are you feeling that? Who is God? Who am I? Let it sink in. Do like Chiquetta did. Write some stuff down that you get in your system that when your thoughts or your emotions are playing games with you, you've got some truth that you know that you can go to. Does that sound good? Doesn't that sound good? If you're not quite as excited as I am. Here's something that I want us to take away from this, and I'm going to close. There's three things that kind of regardless of school of thought, psychologists, psychiatrists, mental health people, doctors, medical doctors, uh, sociologists write about that are very important for an individual to be emotionally and mentally healthy. Okay? And here are these three things. And I believe they're just describing truth that we see in Scripture. Security, feeling safe, being safe, identity, and a sense of belonging. Now here's what I believe we can pull from the scriptures we read today. That security, identity, and a sense of belonging come from a relationship with Jesus. That was so good, I'm going to say it twice. Security, identity, and a sense of belonging come from a relationship with Jesus. Under every thought, emotion, attitude, and action in your life, there is a belief. What do you believe? What do you believe? It's time to let the roots go down and to get stronger in what you believe. Who is God? Who am I? I believe Jesus died that the guilt of my sin would be removed and lives today that I might have life. I believe Jesus loves me sacrificially and without fail. I believe that Jesus prays for me. Let's stand and close in prayer. Boy, we got some good news today. Isn't that, isn't that the good news? Come on. That is the good news. Let's pray and ask for God's grace to help us Really get a hold of this. 
God, I thank you so very much that we can rely on you. I thank you so very much that as we repent and walk away and set down our junk and that as we turn ourselves over to you and that as we love you, as we learn from you, as we grow in you, that there is grace, that there is peace, that no matter what life throws our way, there is peace, that we can reasonably say these things, that we can stand in faith, that regardless of what we feel or think, that we can make these faith statements and stand in you. I thank you that you are our advocate, that you've paid the price, Lord Jesus, that you never leave us or forsake us, that you even to this day that you pray for us. Thank you, God. Thank you that that is who you are. I ask today that you would help us to dig deep in our relationship with you, to personally interact with you moment by moment, day by day. Lord, I thank you for who you are and all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you so much.